Hello and welcome to the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood. Thank you so much for tuning in. Great to have you guys here. And we have an awesome episode for you tonight. I'm really excited about it. The Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Kyle and Kellen out of Savannah, Illinois. Uh, very much appreciate their support for the podcast. And they have a trap and supply business where you can pick up a whole wide variety of different things. Uh, get what you need for spring beaver trapping. Pick up some of those TS-85s. You can get books, DVDs, um, lures, baits, uh, a whole pile of different supplies. So check them out and thank them for supporting the podcast. We're, you know, we're going to do big things here. There's uh, just a, a, a lot going on and I'm really excited about it. And one of the reasons I'm able to bring all this stuff to you is uh, Kyle and Kellen uh, helping to pay some of the bills here. So I very much appreciate their support and appreciate if you'd uh, send us a little bit of your business their way. So in tonight's episode, we are going to talk with Ron Jones. Ron is a, a trapper, a snare man, and dog-proof trapper, animal damage control trapper from New Jersey. And boy, this guy is just an incredible wealth of information. He is a very good teacher. He does a lot of trapping instruction stuff. And uh, tonight, I think Ron, I'm, I'm sure Ron asks me way more questions than I ask him and challenged me to think a lot while we were doing this interview. The interview actually went a long time, and uh, I'm breaking it up into a couple different segments, two, possibly three. Uh, but for the first segment here that we're going to hear tonight, we talked about his background and how he got started trapping a little bit about the damage control side of things and how he thinks about trapping for ADC and trying to catch those uh, 20% of animals that are that can prove to be very difficult to catch. We talked then about uh, New Jersey snaring and that was a question I was really interested in because I, I wondered how New Jersey was still able to snare even though they've lost the foothold trap and he went into very, very... Uh, uh, very much detail about snaring in New Jersey, what they're required to do, and how how it all works, and and the whole mechanics of snaring. For me, it was a real learning experience because we can't snare on land here in Maine. I I hope someday we'll be able to, but New Jersey does, and they do it very effectively. So uh, he talks about. Uh, all the details behind that. So thanks again for tuning in and, and really glad to have you here and hope that you enjoy tonight's episode. Let's get into it. Ron Jones from New Jersey. How are you doing tonight, Ron? All right. How are you doing? Great. I appreciate you uh, offering to come on to the, the podcast and talk with us. Um, I I have a little bit of uh, your background. I know you're, you're modest, but uh, I have to I have to uh, give people your credentials here, and, and this is just what, the little bit that I know from listening and, and uh, seeing your stuff. So I'm going to go over this, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or add or subtract to the, the resume. But no, make, make me sound good now, though, I want it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, a trapper from New Jersey, you, are, uh, you have an animal damage control business. Uh, you do a lot of ADC work. Uh, you have uh, lure and bait making, and uh, I, I believe you make wildlife calls. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So you've got a, a site there. Uh, wh- I found out about you from your podcast, uh, Rednecks Pride Outdoors. Okay. Um, you teach uh, trapping and snaring school. Mm-hmm. Uh, teach trapper education, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard somewhere in some circles they call you the Squirrel Man. You still? Uh, I haven't been called that in a, three or four years, but yeah, in the wildlife control industry, uh, that was my nickname for many years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I don't know what that meant, though, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd you get started trapping, Ron? Oh, uh, when I was around 10 years old, I started to uh, try to trap, you know, as a, as a lot of kids do. Um, I really do not know. I, I you know, I'm, I'm 60 years old now, so uh, I, I don't. I don't remember why I wanted to trap, um, but I, I, I remember as a before before ten uh, going out and trying to catch rabbits and squirrels and and uh, birds and you know we had chickens and all that so we had rats you know <laughs> well if you have chickens you got rats yeah. so you know we was doing doing that stuff around ten years old I started uh, trying to catch. I guess what you would call fur bears. And my first animal I can remember catching was a possum. Um, my grandfather from Oklahoma uh, had showed me to me how to make a wooden box strap. And the hinges was uh, leather. And it was mainly made to catch, you know, squirrels or, or rabbits rather. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day I caught the possum and, you know, where I can remember catching the possum and going hog wild and trying to catch whatever I could and, and lo and behold one day I caught a raccoon and, and the raccoon literally just tore the doors right off that track <laughs> <laughs> I mean it just you know had a wire back and there was a raccoon I remember seeing raccoon hair all over it and he ripped the you know we had we had the, the, the wire stapled and he had the wire ripped halfway off and the door was ripped off and 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 uh, I can remember just the excitement that I that I had as a young boy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and next thing I know, I'm you know trying to catch muskrats and yeah, and what have you. You know, notice I said trying to. Um, <laughs> you know, like everybody, there's a starting point, and you and you got a rough road to hoe before you start to figure things out. Sure. But, uh, and yeah, that, so it's going back a few years. Yeah, yeah that that generation commonly uh, talks about how trapping knowledge was not freely shared back then either. No, it wasn't shared at all. <laughs> <laughs> you picked it up from fur fishing game or, or or whatever. You know, those late you know was we got into the seventies and the fur boom really started to kick off. Yeah, uh, you learned as a a youngster or young man, you learned how to ask questions without asking questions and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because you know if, if if the old boys liked you they would give you a one or two word answer if they didn't like you they, they told you to go you know what <laughs> or, 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 or just turn around and walk off but after a while you know after a while they would take a liking to you and, and if you knew how to make a statement asking a question more or less and then shutting up and listening, mm-hmm. you would get bits and pieces. And then the next time you would ask a question or, or, you know, the same way, and then you would get more bits and pieces. So you had to, you had to put your, you had to put it all together mm-hmm. with real life, in other words. And I truly believe it made us learn 
uh, better. <laughs> yeah, so you, you took those pieces of information, and then I'm assuming you went out on the trap line and tried to use that. And see yeah, yeah, or, or your understanding of what they said, and then it either worked or it didn't work, and and um, you you had to, you know, like, and today, even today, when I'm the few folks that I've mentored quite a bit, and, and they say you never give me a stinking direct answer, and I'll say that's because <laughs> if I give you the answer, it goes in. You use it and then you forget it. Yeah. But if I make you think about it and figure it out on your own, then it's there for life. And and that's that's one of the the the, the keys uh, to to making yourself learn rather than just sitting down and learning from somebody else. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so at some point, I'm guessing you transitioned from the fur trapping into animal damage control. Was it like a gradual thing, or or you just decided that you wanted to start doing ADC work? Well, uh, you know, when we got into, I got married in 1979, I guess it was, and and up until that point, I wanted to be a long line fur trapper. And mm-hmm. you know, all them old boys out there, uh, Miranda and all them guys, you know, and I would go to the conventions and talk to them and. I wanted to be a long line fur trapper, but uh, I knew I, I wasn't up to snuff to do that because, you know, I wasn't that good yet. Um, so the next step that I would have, because I had a pretty little blonde I married and, and I had a job with the electric company, so instead of just, you know, quitting that thing, I would get calls to go handle some skunks or some raccoons or, or something causing damage for somebody, okay? And I would just go do it for him. And next thing I know, by you know the, the early '80s, I was I was um, more or less doing a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then by by the late '80s, I was aligning for an electric company, and and I I left the electric company you know in 1990 to do wildlife control full time. By that time, um, so I had already been doing. By the time I went full time into uh, wildlife. I had already been doing wildlife control for probably what, 10, 11 years, I guess. So, uh, is that what you do to, uh, up to until today? Yeah, that's, that's since the, that's what I still do. Uh, my, my main job is a ACP wildlife control services. And, um, we do all, all sorts. That's how I got my nickname of uh, Squirrel Man, I guess, <laughs> from the wildlife control industry because we was, you know, in the, in the late 80s, actually, I guess, mid-90s and all that, I started doing a lot of seminars and stuff like that at the, at the wildlife control functions. Yeah. And uh, my key was, was gray squirrels. I knew, how, I knew how, uh, the gray squirrel pretty pretty good. Okay, and, and your company, do you have other people working with you, or is it just you? I used to. I used to. Um, now I'm back down to myself and my wife. Um, you know, one time we had quite a few, we had three or four people working for us, and then um, downsized down to where in the last two years I'm down to. My, well, my son, he, he got hired on by Fish and Wildlife um, for New Jersey, mm-hmm. and when he left me, my oldest son went down to North Carolina, and... Uh, I just said I'm tired of dealing with uh, employee stuff, so I dropped down. I downsized to where I do the, the the hard work. I do all the setups, and then like here in about another two or three weeks, we'll we'll start getting around hog hole uh, calls in left and right, yeah. and we'll get a lot of uh, 
groundwork like chipmunks and stuff like that. My wife will actually, where she's in the office most of the time, once we start getting heavy into the groundwork, she'll she'll take over the groundwork. Okay. And uh, uh, and I'll put her against a lot of trappers out there. And she's only been doing, maybe this is her fourth year of, of going out and setting traps for groundhogs and raccoons and chipmunks and, and skunks. But uh, she's... she's uh, she, she has her she has her act together. Let's put it that way with cages. That nice. she can set a cage. Yep. So, what species do you tend to deal with most of the time? It's 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 when whenever whatever the season is. For example, um, we do a lot of bat work. I do a lot of bat work. Um, I do a lot of groundhog work. Uh, a lot of raccoon work. I mean, a tremendous amount. A lot. A lot of skunks. Uh, used to do tremendous amount of squirrels but uh, we're not doing as many squirrels as we used to don't know why i think uh maybe competition getting in there more people doing it and then maybe uh, uh maybe the houses are getting tighter or whatever but we don't do as much when it comes to squirrel work and that and again that's where we're going back into the uh six the the the, the nickname back in the oh i guess it was early 90s that's where I came up with the six phases of the gray squirrel, and if you look hard enough on the internet, you'll 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 find a lot of guys have heard that that the program has been going for a lot of time, a lot of years. Is that something we, that's written down, or is that just a talk that you give? Or? It's it's uh, it's actual. I used to do a lot of uh, lectures and seminars in the wildlife control industry. Uh, at least once a year, maybe twice a year, I would give that that talk to WCT or. It was Nicola. We did it a lot of it, Nicola. But that's a uh, what it is is we found out. I found out through dealing with squirrels that a, a an adult dominant female squirrel will go through six phases in about six months. So it's phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, right on down to six. Okay, then she'll go right back into her heat cycle again. Or start to go into her heat cycle back into phase one, and then she'll do it all over again. So she'll start off, she'll, she'll uh, start to get in her hormones and start to move. She'll breed, she'll have her pups. She, she will raise her pups to that age to where she starts to come back into that heat cycle. She kicks them out and she starts all over again. Okay. And, and we developed that program because each one of those phases has if you will, a different strategy, if you will, okay. on, on trapping, okay? Yeah. Yes, we're using cage traps. Yes, we're using one-way doors or, or posies or whatever. But each phase gives you clues when you can, you know, for example, yesterday I, I caught a squirrel. And um, the first thing you do is you check the squirrel out. You can tell if it's a dominant female or not. You check the squirrel and... and Right at her nipples, okay, I can see where she's pink on the nipples and the hair just pushed away a little bit. Okay. Listening to the customer talk to me, two nights ago, he heard her at 4.30 in the morning really running around rampant, and then the next morning he heard her running around rampant at 4.30 in the morning. When he told me that, typically your gray squirrels are going to be active right at daybreak or just a little bit before, okay? When... 4 or 4.30 in the morning, it's getting late at uh, 6.30, 7 o'clock, whatever it is. Um, this was not normal. Yeah. 
But when you hear the franticness, when the squirrels have been in the house for three, four weeks, and they're and they're in a certain level of of uh, activity. In other words, they're they're animals. All animals are the same as humans. We're habitual. We 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 get into a habit. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when that squirrel is um, acting a certain way, and then all of a sudden it goes awry and it does something different, gets frantic or, or going into areas that it doesn't normally go to, okay, the customer normally picks up on that, but it means nothing to them other than just plain aggravates them, all right? Yeah. Where when the customer told me that, in my brain, I went, ah, crap, she's having the pups. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So when I caught her, the first thing I checked was, yeah, she's got her pups, and they're probably a day old or something like that, so we got to go in after them, Okay. That's you know that's what we're doing in the a, in the ADC field. We're, we're we're looking for signs, okay, that will point to a what I call phase, and then in that phase there'll be a, a little things that we can do that will be slightly different than another phase, okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's making sense or not because I don't want to give you eight hours of. of uh, <laughs> I, be, I bet you could though. <laughs> yeah, I could if you got me wrong. Now, now um, I'm guessing that you can use this same type of thinking with animals like coons and skunks. Absolutely, and absolutely. I wrote uh, I wrote the uh, six phases of a raccoon in a year. Okay, it's not two. It's not six months for a raccoon, but it's they're going to go through just about six phases in a year. And the same thing, skunks go through about four phases um, in a year's time. Now, we're talking about the dominant female, okay? The male, he's just like us males in the human race, you know? When she's, <laughs> when she's ready, he goes. <laughs> exactly, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and ironically, uh, we're starting to work on this same uh, mindset, if you will, with deer, okay? I, I make deer sense and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. And with all the with all the states banning natural urine-based lures, yeah. okay, we're in the process of coming up with. I don't, I don't the synthetics ain't working, so I've got to come up with some other stuff that's that's going to work. And we're going through the same mindset with the deer now as I did with the uh, the raccoon, the squirrel, the skunk. Um, putting them into you can actually see the different phases as they're getting into and then these different phases they will they will exhibit certain things that you can uh capitalize on if you will and convince the animal to uh get caught or or in deer's case you know hunting them in the fall or whatever um and that's a key there that, that i don't know if you just picked up what i just said when i'm doing a course with with folks the first thing I always um, notice is the average trapper. Now we're talking about the good trapper. We're talking the guys that know what they're doing, okay, mm-hmm. and they make and they make it happen, okay. When you talk to them, there is a thought by a lot that we and I and I used to hold true to this myself that we can do things and we're actually making the animal do what we want them to do. Okay. You mean, the fact you is, mean the you way can't. We make a set? Well, not, not only the way we make a set is is 
Uh, and I'll use this example because I said this to a customer today. They, well, I'm having a hard time with a squirrel, ironically. Okay, <laughs> they're going to stake and trap. And and I'm and I'm and I'm finagling and changing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And, and they said, "Well, just just catch the stupid squirrel." <laughs> All right. And I said, "It doesn't want to get caught." And you could see that it just went right over their head. It was just I, they don't. We, we don't comprehend as, as, as humans, we don't comprehend stuff like, what do you mean? What, what, what's that mean? It doesn't want to get caught. Okay. Yeah. So they think I'm paying you to do this, to do it. Exactly. And, and this will go back into fur trapping in a second here. I said to the customer with a big grin on my face, would you do me something? Would you do me a favor? And they said, what? Now out in front of our house is a pretty busy street going up and down. I said, would you go out in that yellow line and lay down, please? <laughs> and <laughs> he looked at me and said, what? I said, go out in the middle of the road right there and lay down. And he says, I'm not going out in the middle of that road and laying down. And I said, exactly. Then he understood what I was trying to say to him. Yeah. That animal, if it don't want to go into that cage or it don't want to step on that set or it doesn't want to stick its head into that cable, all right, it ain't going to. It's not, that ain't proper English, but it's real, okay? The same thing, so what we do is, as trappers, as ADC guys, is hopefully we configure the behavior, and, 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 and that's a key there. Not habit, but behaviors. When we get a hard animal to deal with, I've got to go into what I call behavior facts. All right, I've got to find out how that animal is behaving to my chess game that I'm throwing. So, in other words, I make a move with my chess player; they make a move back. Okay? Now, now, just to clarify, I think I've heard you talk before about habit versus behavior. Can you define that for people? Okay, habits is going to be species general. Okay. Raccoons have a habit of running up and down the creek. Raccoons have a habit of, of uh, uh, eating corn. You know, those, those particular habits that they will have, okay? Mm -hmm. The behavior will be that particular coon, every time he comes down, comes past here, he's going to go up that leaning tree. And that's specific to that individual. And that's specific to that individual, Okay. So habits of species general, behavior is individual specific. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when we're going after the 80%, and I know you've heard me say that because that, that has caused so much turmoil on this, in this industry. 80% <laughs> <laughs> of the animals, whatever species you're talking about, Okay, whatever, whatever you're, whether it's hunting, fishing, uh, well, I don't know fishing, but I assume it's the same as fishing. I think it is. Um, but when you're, when you're dealing with a, a species of anything, a representative number, okay, not, not an absolute factual, but a, a representative number, 80%, okay, it could be in this, in this location, it could be 60%, in that location, it could be 90%. Who knows? We don't, we don't know. That's an unknown number. But we use the word 80%. 80% of that population, when we go into, whether it's ADC work or, or you're going into the fur trapping, 80% of those animals are going to be dumb, okay? They're going to be easy to catch. 
easy as that species is can be. So in other words, 80% of the coyotes are going to be e- easier to catch than the other 20% of those coyotes. Those would be population. like your young dispersing animals. Uh, un- unpressured, um, you know, whatever reason it is. Those 80% will fall for just about anything and everything that works for that species. Okay. And again, I'm not saying all animals are dumb. That's, that's not what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you get to that 20%, now you're dealing with an animal that's been there, done that, super cautious. Maybe they're, they're spooky because of that's what they are. Okay. They're just spookier than the, than the other ones. Whatever reason they get into that 20%, that 20% is a little bit harder to catch. So what we do is on that 20%, and this mainly falls in your ADC wildlife control because... Yeah, I don't care about the 20% when I'm trapping for fur, right? I just want to go find more 80 percenters somewhere else. Exactly, and and I'm I'm all for that, okay, except for in places like we're seeing right right now, okay, because that 80% are going to be the small coon. That's only worth a buck fifty. Sure, yeah, that's a good point. That 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 eighty percent is going to be the small rats. That's only worth a dollar twenty-five. Okay, um, the eighty percent is going to be the uh, the dumber, older ones. That's that's maybe their fur quality isn't the greatest. Okay, they're coming down off of their their you know they're they're, mm-hmm. they're not as sharp as they used to be. The twenty percent will t- will typically be, especially for raccoons. Twenty uh, percent will typically be a better better quality coon. Okay, it's going to be a bigger, much better for a coon. Um, so, so as a fur trapper, the eighty percent in in uh, ten to fifteen dollar coons, that's fine because your averages for those mediums and larges are going to be ten dollars. I'll take that all day long. But when you get into whether two dollars or three dollars, I don't want them things. I only want the bigger ones. Yeah. So yeah, I, I actually hadn't thought of it thought of it from that perspective, but it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So what I what I will do when I'm dealing with the eighty percent or the twenty percent is I tend to work off of the off of uh, behavior rather than habits. Okay, and and it works in the fur trapping also. It works extremely well in the fur trapping because when you work off of behavior, okay, you're now keying in on the twenty percent that you wouldn't normally catch with the 80% uh, methods. You follow what I'm saying there? Mm-hmm. But the 80% will fall from the 20% they're, they're, Yeah, they're still catchable for sure. <laughs> yeah, because they just want to get caught, you know. So, um, so, so it sounds complicated. A lot of guys will say, I'm not thinking, keep it simple, stupid. You know, keep it simple, Jonesy. You know, don't, why, be, why think this stuff through? Well, in all reality, it's, it's no harder than it is the other stuff, okay? Because once you once you got it in your head, it's just it's just mechanics. It just follows right on through to where I find myself for and you've heard me talk about on 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 these posts and stuff about baiting strategies for for cages. You know, uh, I wrote an article for Trapper's Post a few years back, and Bob Noon and I was talking, and. I was catching a coon a night in this one particular cage trap that the article was written about. It was raining or something. I can't exactly remember exactly what it was, but it was raining or whatever. And I didn't go for my 30 seconds more that it takes me to do my advanced bait, uh, trick baiting system. Right. Literally takes me about a, a minute to bait my that, traps. Yeah. Up. That's the question that immediately came to mind for me is how much more effort is it going to take to go for these 20%? 
About 30 seconds. <laughs> That's <laughs> not bad. <laughs> I'll do that you know, any day of the week. You know, uh, or the, for the advanced systems on the dog proofs, maybe a minute. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm still getting the dog proof in advanced systems under well, but well, way faster than I'm getting a, a foot trap in. Uh, but anyway, going back to that, you know, this particular situation, uh, I lazied out, okay? And I just, the same baits that I was using, and I typically always use two to three baits, three to four lures per cage trap. Okay. Wow. But this, but this particular situation, what I did was I still did my, I still did my uh, baits, my two baits and my, and my four lures, but I, I just put them all on the back of the trap. Okay. Yep. And I come back the next morning and coon tracks walking on all around the trap, working the back of the trap, blah, 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 walk going off, no catch. Huh. Or, again, lazy now, didn't, didn't, do, didn't change anything up, come back in, new coon tracks walking on. And I'm the crazy, and I'm the crazy trapper, even for a trapping, that I will, I will clean out all that dirt around that cage trap. To see if so there's fresh see. tracks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm that anal about my cage traps. Yeah. Okay. I think it was three or four days or whatever, come back and, and the coon's doing the same thing with the same bait. And I simply went back with the same baits to my strategy. And the next day I had coons, bam, 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 bam. Okay. So when I, when, when we're talking about 30 seconds to a minute more to do an advanced system or, or working up to the, to the 20%, but my catch increases 60 to 80%. It makes sense to me to do it. Yeah. Rather than saying, hey, you ain't got to do all that. Why you got to think of all that? Okay. And what I find, though, is when I'm talking to, and I was talking to a really good trapper there the other day, and, and we was talking some of this stuff. Yeah, you're thinking too much, blah, 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 blah. Yet when I started talking to him and questioning him on things, I made him realize that he already knew and already thought the same stuff that I was doing. I was just making it obvious. Is that making sense to you? Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, I said to him, well, would you do that right there? Well, no, you wouldn't do that, but you would do this, this, and this. I said, you're doing the same thing I'm telling you to do. It's just subconsciously, he's not thinking of it. He wasn't thinking of the things that I train myself to bring out because most of the time I'm talking to brand new trappers or, or people who I've got to make them think through. Okay. Uh, my, my double load snare that I'll, I'll be giving a talk in, in the uh, FTA here in June. All right. This ought to be fun. This ought to be really, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> because when I mention double load snares to people, they either have a mindset of something completely, totally different or they don't see a need to because they're happy with their catch that they're making with their standard load or no load or overload or whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I'll say to them, well, do you have a problem with a stall? And they'll look at you. And at first, some guys don't know what a stall is. And other people do know what a stall is. Okay. But as you know what a stall is, right? A stall is where the animal comes up to the snare and stops and doesn't proceed through all the way. You I might get a first. He yeah. might get it, uh, uh, an inch or two into it, and then he stops, okay? Mm -hmm. I developed the 
double load, not for fur trapping, but you already heard me talk about how I do a lot of uh, groundhog work and the snare, or to be politically correct, cable restraint, <laughs> is on large contracts, that's my tool. I don't, I'm not going to load a bunch of cage straps around. I'm going to hang snares in the dens and what have you. And I was getting frustrated because my standard load snares that everybody does, okay, I would literally watch a groundhog walk right through them. All right? Now, what the Sam heck is going on here? You know, now you're talking to a pro professional. <laughs> That's not supposed to happen. And uh, what's, the ground, what's the groundhog do when he first comes up out of the hole? What's he do? He stops and he looks around. Okay, he doesn't proceed out. Mm-hmm. He stops, sticks his head up, and nine times out of ten, his stupid head will be right through the middle of that loop. And he's looking around, and he takes his next step, next step through, and I would see the snare move. And he would take his next step through, and I would see the snare move, but it wouldn't fire. And I couldn't figure out what in the Sam heck was going on here. And that's when I started looking at it. And in my mind, watching the groundhog move through that snare, uh, I started to look at the downward, what we call the downward fire, okay? And that's when I realized that that animals was with um, the stall, when they, get, when they step into that snare, they're putting downward pressure on the snare. They're not putting a swing out now. Okay. When you're when you're when you're um, talking about snaring or, or cable restraints, and essentially they're the same. Okay, and, and guys argue with me all day long. I only use cable restraints. I said no, you use a snare with a swivel. Right, but anyway, what what happens is this: I can take a a regular standard load snare that is fast, boom, fires, and I can do what we call the swing out motion. All right. And I and I and I show the swing out motion. I take my hand and I push. That's what the, everybody does. Yeah, when they. That's what everybody. You push your hand straight out. It's it's a, it's called the swing out fire. Okay. What people don't realize is if you got a ten inch coyote loop on a standard boat, all right, the bottom of that cable has got to move ten to twelve inches out before it corkscrews the lock or unwedges the lock to fire 10 to 12 inches all right seems like too much well no for a fox or a coyote or or, or, a, or a bobcat oh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. got that that's got a full move that's no problem okay um but the problem is they're what we call vertical chest animals okay in other words the neck comes down hits the chest and you've got X amount of inches, three, four inches, five inches, whatever it is, from the base of the neck to the top of, to the bottom of the chest, which is a vertical, more or less a vertical wall, right? Catches the bottom of the loop. What's our other fur-bearing animals that we're going after? Skunks, groundhogs. Well, groundhogs can be fur-bear, but groundhogs, raccoons, weasels, they don't They're have hard that. to snare. They're hard to snare. I bet <laughs> okay. mink, mink are probably hard too. Yeah. Mink, okay. Possums, all right. Muskrat and beaver. What is their chests? Definitely not vertical. No, it's not. It goes from the bottom of the jaw to the neck 
and the neck goes on a, on an angle, what we call a slant, to the bottom of the chest. So there is no vertical wall. There is no vertical um, thing to hit, in other words. So, so when the animal, down. yeah, that makes sense. So when they're going through, they're pushing down. You take, and I'll show that at the FDA, and I show it all the time. You take a beautiful snare that I had that swing out, and it fires, and it'll bust your knuckle. You know how to test that, right? You fire it out, and that flat lock fires goes so fast that when it hits your knuckle on your other hand, it hurts. You know that, man, that's a good snare, okay? When you take that, you swing it out, and it pop it, it busts your knuckle, and you say, man, that hurt. That's a good snare. But when you apply downward pressure, it wedges. You let up. Now the raccoon, skunk, Gone. possum, whatever, puts his next foot through, okay? Downward pressure, picks it up. Now he's got his belly on it, and you don't get the you don't get the swing out now until it hits the midsection of the belly or the haunches. Then you get your swing out. Okay, that's why, you know, when guys talk about catching neck neck caught coon, coon when you watch a coon, there's there's optical illusions all the way with the coon. Because the coon, when he's walking, he walks with his, his back high. So everybody thinks the nose is down, okay? But when you take a still picture of a raccoon walking with his back high and his head looking like it's down, you will see that the bottom of the chin is even with the bottom of his chest. Okay. All right. It's an optical illusion. When you measure the average large, extra large, you know, up to a triple a large coon, you will see from the back pad of that coon to the armpit or the leg pit of that coon is going to be anywhere from six to eight inches. They have long, they have a pretty long leg, but you don't see it because nobody's thinking of this. So everybody's setting these eight inch loops four inches off the ground and the coon's got a six inch leg or seven inch leg What's the coon doing on the on the uh, the snare with his front legs? He's stepping right through. Yeah. Because an eight inch loop is humongous. Because a coon looks like he's humongous, but in a house, the average raccoon size hole is going to be four inches. Hmm. All right. So I set my standard load or my standard snare for a raccoon is going to be a five to six inch loop, six to seven inches to the bottom of the loop off the walking surface. If I want, if I don't want to catch the little ones, I go, I go seven inches. If I want to just catch the, you know, the, the marketable ones, the, 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 the larges and all that, I'll go, I'll go six inches. And if I need to catch them all, then I'll drop down to five inches. Yeah. All right. With a six inch loop or a five inch loop. But even with a five or a six inch loop at seven inches, I will catch a double X by the back haunches hmm. still. Okay. With a six inch loop. Now, I'm going to hear a lot of guys talk about, ah, you know, you're setting your snare wrong and all that. I've been doing it for a long, long time. And I have my share of misses. And I have my share of catches. And my philosophy is get the son of a gun caught so I can skin him. (laughs) Okay, because because if I'm going for only neck catches, I'm going to miss a lot of coup. So so this is all new to me. And the reason being... Uh, we can't snare on land in Maine. And I want to know how the heck you guys in New Jersey are still allowed to snare and we can't. We have been doing it for 32 years because there's a there's a perception, if you will. 
of what the snare or the cable restraining is. Okay. And that perception is whatever's conjured up in whoever's minds at that particular moment. Right. Yep. We was forced into the cable in New Jersey in 1986 because we lost the foothold in 1984. They gave us 15 months or, or a year and a half, actually, I guess it was, to get rid of the foot trap and to come up with an alternative. The alternative was shot down, which was going to be the padded jaw steel jaw, padded jaw trap. And they wanted they to shot that. that down. So they, the anti-groups that, that was able to defeat us with the foot trap didn't see the snare, okay? Mm-hmm. And you give a trapper enough time to think about it, we'll figure something out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? The mo- some of the most innovative people around. Exactly. So we, we was able to, with our division, and our division was great at that time, even though we was fighting our division because they had to. They was a state, but they wasn't for losing the federal trap. Yeah. Okay, they was, they was going through the state motions, but they didn't want to lose the federal trap. They immediately gave us the snare. Then we had to, within a year, we went from the regular snare with no nothing on it that you'll see out in, you know, out west or wherever. Then they we went to, at that point, what we called the body grip, non-lethal body gripping restraining snare. That was the, that was the technical name that we had. <laughs> <laughs> and what I had was a, a two-inch, di- it had a two-inch deer stop, which is six inches from the from the lock, okay, and it had a swivel on on the on the uh, in in there somewhere. So you had to have a deer stop, and you had to have a swivel. Now, was the, did this have to have a relaxing lock, or could it be any lock? There was no such thing as a relaxing lock. That that that, that is where I'm going. That that's where I'm going at with this thing. Okay. okay. You have a true kill lock. A Gregerson would be a true kill lock any lock with an assisting spring on the bottom of that lock, okay? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a cam lock or, or my super relaxed lock or a slim lock or whatever, okay? They are kill, they are kill locks. They are, the, the definition of a kill lock is that the lock maintains and continues pressure As even when the animal's not pulling, okay? Okay. You have what they call a positive lock, which kind of hurt us. The positive lock was that the lock stops pulling when the animal, the lock stops closing when the animal stops pulling. Then you have the terminology relaxing lock. And the relaxing lock is this. The lock stops pulling or closing and relaxes when the animal stops pulling. Okay. There's no definition of what, what relax means. Okay. Right. Is relax uh, a hundredth of an inch? Because all locks will do that. When you, when you. Yeah, a cam lock will do that. Every lock does that. Yeah. Except for your spring assisted, or not your spring assisted, but your spring loaded locks or your, or like a Gregerson. And the re- reason the Gregerson would be classified as a kill lock is because it's a spring loaded, it's, it's, a, it's a sheet metal spring. It's a springy steel. Okay. That opens and closes so each time the animal pulls it, it, it it's it's getting closer and closer to it's it, it's it's applying pressure at all time in mm-hmm. other words all right and we was able to do that we was able to fight this a couple of years ago because we proved this the slim lock even though it's manufactured as a kill lock most of the guys in new jersey use slim locks and 90 percent of our animals are alive mm-hmm. um why well you you're you're, you're non-lethal 
is your deer stop for your foxes, your coons, and these other animals. Okay. We have a six inch. So from the, from the cable, the top of the lock to the deer stop, we were six inches, which makes it a two inch circumference. And that's most enough. states, most states are going to be a two and a half inch. So it's going to put you at, at seven and seven eighths or something like that okay. uh, from the lock down to that. All right. That is your non-lethal portion of the cable right there. Okay. Um, when that lock comes all the way down and hits that deer stop, what's the average fox or raccoon's neck diameter? It, I know it looks a lot bigger than it is. Yeah, because of the fur, but when you skin the suckers out and you get down to it, most of for our red foxes, and especially your gray foxes and your coons, most of the time that lock isn't snugged up. Huh. That, that you can take your finger and, and stick it between the cable and the and the uh, and the uh, the neck. Okay. Now, when you went to two and a half, what happens with the two and a half is you start to get a little bit more play in there, and then that's where you start to get your fur damage around the neck. So, an animals that's really fighting hard in a wide open set. Okay. Pennsylvania would be that way. A lot of a lot of states you have to stake it and no entanglement whatsoever. So they have you have this. Uh, box um, bouncing around in a circle and that cable was never really cinching up tight on his neck okay yeah so it's spinning on it but no matter what lock you're using with a deer stop if the lock can't tighten up tight enough to restrict the blood flow and the oxygen you're not killing it right right Every lock, no matter if it's a relaxing lock or a positive lock, once once it once the animal makes its initial um, lunge, if you will, or the initial stop, meaning if you got a six foot snare, he's gonna he's gonna work that out to that end of that cable. He's gonna hit the end of that cable, and what's gonna happen at that point? It's what we call lock set or cable set. So you're all the way to the lock. The snare's not. You're all the way down. Up. You're all the way down. Yeah, you're all the way down to the deer stop. When he hits, when he hits that and make and realizes he's caught or whatever, and he makes another lunge to get out. Usually, it's going to be moving forward unless you're a raccoon. Okay. That cable now kinks where it's sliding through the lock. That lock now does not come back. It is it is it is a positive lock at that point? Follow what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So in order to catch an animal, the animal's got to hit the end of the cable and he's got to set the lock. Once he sets the lock, there's no such thing as a, as a, as a, as a relaxing lock. Hmm. Now, most of our animals are going to be alive, okay? New Jersey, and this is where a lot of, a lot of states, a lot of people just freak out because they just they don't understand it. We have, to this day, a swivel somewhere inside that cable, either at the end or or, or in line, okay, we have a deer stop. We have, we're not allowed to use cam locks, okay, and we're not, no, and the reason we're not allowed to use cam locks is because it's perceived that that's the lock that's going to be a problem, so therefore we're not going to use cam locks, okay. Okay. Um, we can't use a Gregerson or a spring-loaded type lock, and we cannot use a lock that has any type of a spring that's going to create pressure continuous pressure all right we've been using that same system since 1987 
we've had five dogs out of 30 some years that's had a problem in a snare and three of those dogs that quote unquote was supposedly killed uh was not killed because of the snare it was killed because of other situations it was in a snare but it died for other other situations right so you got the most densely populated state in the nation with people and our main tool is the cable restraints and or, you have a system that is is time tested exactly exactly you know we've gone for the last two seasons we've had no problems but yet when you talk to people the perception is you know every snare is going to kill an animal every every cable oh, yeah. restraint is going to kill an animal now when you get into coyotes let's face it you know you got a you got a whole different ball game there um yeah. Yeah, they're going to fight way more than a dog. Yeah, they're fighting like crazy. A dog that is leashing, and I had this discussion today with um, some dog men, because <clears throat> we're going through a battle right now with uh, some some trapping uh, uh, bills. Yeah, it's that time of year. And, yeah, and I say to the I say to the dog man, is your dog leash trained? No. Well, what happens when you pull back on your leash? Well, he stops. So what's he going to do in a snare? They just look at you. Okay. I, if I'm, and I'm a, I'm a waterfowler. I also, I am a beagler. I, I, I love hunting rabbits for my hound dogs. I've only got one right now, but at a time, I, one time I had four or five dogs running continuously and I ran my hound dogs where I had my snare set. All right. Um, there's times when I didn't have a lead and I needed a lead. And you know what I used for a lead? used the snare, snare. <laughs> <laughs> okay um because your dogs once they're leash trained they're not going to fight the snare initially like everything else they, they're going to fight it but then they're going to say dang how'd this sucker get the lead on me all right and they're usually waiting for you when you when you come back again a coyote is a totally different ball game there coyotes are, are we also have no regulation against um entanglement Matter of fact, I want entanglement. And again, most of our animals are going to be alive in entanglement. Where your animal is not going to be alive in entanglement is when you've got that one kill pole setting out in the middle of that field or out in what we call an open scenario. It's where that fox, coons never die. I mean, coons got to hang themselves to kill themselves. But where you get is we get the fox in that what we call an open setting to where it's in the cable, it's in the snare, it's in the, in it's the CR, okay? And it feels vulnerable. It feels, it's out in the open. It's, it's yeah. stressing out, okay? Yeah. It, when you get that one pole type setting, kill pole, sapling, whatever, that fox will typically start to wrap around that, that, that sapling, okay? And he will wrap, 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 wrap. When he gets down to the end of that that uh, sapling and is now his neck is against the sapling. It's acting like a spring, right? No, it's not even acting like that. It's not even. It's it, Where's the lock at? The lock should be at the stop. It's at the stop. So nothing's changed, okay? Okay. But what happens is now the animal's freaking out because he's out in the open. He's vulnerable. He feels uncomfortable, all right? When he gets to the end of that and he can't continue forward anymore around that pole, 
or sapling or whatever. Wild animals do not, when they're panicked, they do not think to reverse their, their steps. Mm-hmm. You agree with that? Yeah. Okay. So what he does is he goes over butt, butt over head or head over butt. He does a flip. Okay. Yeah. When he flips, now what happens to that loop? It's that tight. was. It's tightening. It's starting to tighten. He now feels the pressure of that. He's already stressed out. What's he do? The exact same movement again. Right over again. Three or four times to what, to, to literally what do they do to themselves? They strangle themselves. They literally twist that cable so tight that they strangle themselves down. And, and my, and my fishing game folks that I've showed this to how you can take that animal that killed itself on, and I, and it killed, it killed itself on that pole. Okay. You can literally do what we call the helicopter. Just reverse the flips. Lay that animal down, and literally you can take your fingers most of the time, most of the time, not all the time. Most of the time you can literally take your finger and run it up between the cable and the neck. Now, what happens when you get catches, or do you get catches uh, behind the the front legs? And if so... Oh, yeah. They're, 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 if, if it's caught up behind the shoulders or if it's a seat belt, they're fine. Um, okay. If you get an animal that's, that, that pulls tight down around the haunches and he, and he hangs himself, he's going to kill himself just like I would, um, just like I would kill myself when I was a lineman. If I cut out of a pole and my belt twisted and wrapped me around my belly, I wouldn't be able to breathe. Yeah. Okay. It's that's, that's that. But even at that, most animals are going to be alive. And even on entanglement, if I can get that animal, that's why I like to use six to 12 foot extensions. Okay. Because I can set, I can wrap around the sapling up, up in that, that bar patch or up in that uh, honeysuckle patch or whatever. The animal gets caught over here in this trail here. It, it runs back into that, that, that bar patch or that honeysuckle patch, and it gets tangled up inside there. But what's it doing the whole time it's in there now? I think it, it's, feels, it feels safe, it's, right? It's calm down. It's comfortable. Yeah. Okay. And they're usually waiting for you. And it's usually a pain to get them out, especially if it's a bar patch because you're getting <laughs> stuck and all that, and you got to try to get this sucker out of there, and he's biting that and whatever. But, but you know, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of, you know, we've got 30 plus years of time-tested proven facts um the new jersey the new jersey snareman is a is a producer we we, we can the guys has been around a block of time or two yeah i think everybody would know the name newt sterling if if uh, exactly you know and 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 newt and i are buddies from the early 80s okay and and nice. and uh um so that's you know and, but there's a lot of sleepers coming down New Jersey that snare me. Uh, right. A lot of a lot of boys that can hang cable anywhere in this nation and produce because we, we, we understand uh, not only how to hang a snare, okay, but we uh, we understand how to stay the heck away from people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that is uh, boy, that's got to be got to be a challenge. Uh, yeah, because everybody's got a dog, okay. okay. Yeah. And and uh, everybody walks. You know, New Jersey is is uh, that poster sign doesn't mean the person just wants to walk around in the woods and be nosy. That that's for the hunter, trapper, or fisherman. You know, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. So has this New Jersey model been used to uh, to uh, get snaring back in any other states? Not that I know of. Most people want to go with the Wisconsin or the uh, Pennsylvania regulations. Okay. 
which oh, are man. which are you know I, and i tell the boys in pennsylvania i don't know how you can catch a cold in alaska with your pants down the cable you know if i had to go out there and cut down every little sapling as big as my finger every little twig every little thing around that snare and and and, and drive a stake you've spent 10 15 minutes at the site how in the sam heck do you keep your human uh, odor at any control level there hmm. you know it's taken us it's taken us a minute minute and a half to to get a get a snare set here um to go do all that <clears throat> it's 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 uh i don't know how they do it yeah well, that that's uh, wow. My my head's spinning. That's so much information for a guy that doesn't have any snaring background. That was uh, that was good. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I think it. I I think, uh, and I know a lot of guys uh, that do snare that are gonna appreciate that. Uh, that's it for tonight's episode. I really enjoyed that and hope that you learned as much as I did. And next week's podcast episode, we're going to talk with Ron about uh, uh, we're going to kind of continue on our discussion and we're going to go into dog proof trapping and the different strategies he uses with DPs and we're going to talk about bait and lure strategies and just continue to go through that whole process of of trying to learn and become better trappers by challenging ourselves. So I uh, hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned for next episode. We'll catch you then. Thanks.